this summer been in our mission teams and also just individuals that went on mission uh, trips this summer report. And today we're going to have a, uh, a couple of students report about what we call Mission Tifton. And just to kind of like let you know, because a lot of folks are wondering, what do you do? But um, I don't know, about five years ago, our youth group really felt like that although we were doing trips all over the world, that we also, if we were going to do that, we needed to do uh, at least take one week to focus in on Tifton. And so we've done that now for several years, and uh, it's really a pretty simple plan. The students just come here and actually stay at the church. It's kind of like they're living here for a week, move in, sleep on the floor, do all those kind of things. We've had some Sunday school classes help with food. Um, and then that week they, have, uh, they just do missions work here in Tifton like they would do if they were out somewhere else. So tonight I've asked uh, two of the students, we had a lot of students that were involved in this, but I've asked two of the students, uh, Hannah Sumner and Charlie Jones, to just come and share a little bit about their week of Mission Tifton. So girls, y'all can come up here. Um, I'm Charlie, and the first time I did Mission Tifton, I wondered what was the point of it, just doing a mission trip in Tifton. Um, I think one of the reasons Bill has us do this mission trip is to draw us out of our comfort zone and for us to realize that there are opportunities for us to do mission work right here in Tifton. Um, We started off the mornings with a morning devotion and just getting ready for the day and getting our assignments. One of my favorite things about this mission trip was going to Brookfield Muse and seeing all the little kids. I met a really cute girl named Sierra who I fell in love with and I still go and see. Um, Service is something we all are called to do. Scripture reminds us of this in Matthew 25, 35, where Jesus tells us when we serve others, we we serve him. So tomorrow we all need to look around and see if there are those that need us here in Tipton. Hey, I'm Hannah, and during the afternoons at Mission Tiffin, we would go do community service projects. Thank you. <laughs> One of the days, we went to go paint a nursery while some of the guys went to go do yard work in a church member's yard. The next day, we continued to paint the nursery while a couple of different groups of people went to go mow lawns and pull weeds at different houses. Then the last day, we went to help a church member wash out their garage and do some yard work while another group went to the Agarama to help clean a work outside. And that's what we did during Mission Tiffin. <laughs> All right, thank you, ladies. Thank you, good activity. You going to do Mission Tifton again this coming summer? Yeah, it's going to be big, probably. So, we need to do missions in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria in the uttermost parts of the earth. This is our Jerusalem. Prayer request, we got some folks to, to lift up. Uh, Corinne Miller is uh, still in the transition unit at the hospital, but continuing to improve, and hopefully uh, one day this week we'll go to Cypress Pond for a couple weeks and, until she's able to get back on her feet. Um, church members at home, let's remember Kelly Bowen, who will be going to Savannah Tuesday for outpatient back surgery. Hopefully, we pray that goes well and be home Tuesday evening. Bill Fletcher, as he takes treatments in Jacksonville at Mayo. Christian sympathy to Howard and Michelle Layton in the death of Howard's father, N.H. Layton, to Keetra Branch in the death of her aunt, Betty Page, 
And then, as y'all heard this morning, the family of Jimmy Ruth Campbell services this afternoon, brother Fred Matthews and her sister Betty Bowen. So we want to remember those as well. Let's uh, pause at this time and pray. Father, as we're here tonight, we thank you for the opportunity to, to be in church on Labor Day weekend. A lot of folks are traveling and enjoying a last holiday respite before really the swing of the fall gets underway. But we have the opportunity to be here, and you designed this opportunity, so help us make the most of it, praying and singing and thinking about labor and how to look at it from a biblical perspective. We pray for Ms. Miller as she continues to heal from a broken leg and uh, for her regaining strength and getting back on her feet, uh, maybe at Cypress Pond for a few weeks and then home again. We pray for Kelly Bowen Tuesday for her outpatient surgery and for Bill Fletcher as he takes treatments and for others who are, who are taking chemo and radiation or recovering from the effects of such. Father, bless and, and just be with them and use those procedures to bring healing. We've had so many who've lost loved ones this past week. We pray for the Leighton family and for Keetra and the loss of an aunt and for um, Jimmy Ruth Campbell's family. We just pray that you will Bless and comfort them, sustain them, and be with them as they walk through that, that lonesome valley called the shadow of death. Help us tonight to take the opportunity to rest from our labors, to put those labors in perspective, and to see them as you see them, as you've assigned them to us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you turn with us, please, to the offertory hymn? It's hymn number 572. Hymn number 572. I love to tell the story as we sing all three verses. Would you stand, please?
I'm going to take a point of privilege here tonight and tell you that the Lord has led me to read a prayer that I wrote several years ago. And it's a personal testimony, but it applies to so many in this room. I think you could just put your name where it is and you'll understand. Would you bow with me? Oh, Lord, you know me. And only by your grace am I here today with people I love and who love me. You know me, and yet you allowed us to raise our children in a nurturing church surrounded by wonderful Christian role models. You know me, and still you gave me the freedom to develop talents and teach your word. You put people in my path who challenged me to grow, and you forgave me when I failed. You let me see a larger world through missions and mission trips. You know me, but you are allowing me to continue to find ways to serve. Lord, you know me, and you blessed me anyway. And now as we bring our offerings, we pray that you will continue to bless them and to grow them for your kingdom. For we ask in thy name. Amen.
to walk through chilly Jordan to enter into rest, but I did say I'd be waiting right on the other side, and I did say I'd dry every tear you cried, every tear that you cried. Thank you, Terry. Well, this is Labor Day, still Labor Day weekend, so I wanted to follow up with a, a different tack on work tonight. It's called Christians at Work, and this is probably a passage you've never heard before on Labor Day, but if you substitute some words around, I think you'll see how it applies. 1 Peter 2, verses eight, 18 through 20, the sermon is entitled Christians at Work. And uh, if you will change servants to employees and masters to employer, I think, and I'll explain in, in the course of the sermon why you can do that here, but why this works. First Peter 2, verse 18. Servants or employees, be submissive to your masters or your employers with all respect, not only to the kind and gentle, but also to the overbearing. For one is approved, if mindful of God, he endures pain while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you do wrong and are beaten for it, you take it patiently? But if when you do right and suffer for it, you take it patiently, you have God's approval. Well, needless to say, I'm not saying your boss is going to beat you. <laughs> but there are overbearing bosses. And how is a Christian supposed to react? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of working, the opportunity to be employed. There's so many people, at least 10% in our nation right now, who are hunting for jobs, who are desperately seeking a way to support themselves and their families. We pray for our economy. We pray for those who are hurting. And Father, we pray for those in our own church family who are suffering. Help us to, to see work 
as an opportunity to bring you glory, as a way to, to serve our fellow man as unto the Lord, and to see it as you see it. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Heard a story about two preachers who were having Sunday dinner out at a farm, and the farmer's wife cooked two plump chickens, thinking the family could eat the leftovers that evening after their preacher guests had gone. There was nothing the old farmer liked better than cold leftover fried chicken. It's good, isn't it? But the two hungry preachers wolfed down every bit of both chickens, leaving only a pile of bones on the plate. Well, the farmer was later showing his preacher guest around the farm when they came upon an old rooster who was lustily crowing over and over, and one of the preachers remarked, he seems pretty proud of himself. And the farmer mumbled, he ought to, he's got two sons in the ministry. <laughs> Y'all are a lot nicer than the Sunday morning crowd. Is the ministry a more blessed profession than any other job? No. The Bible says, even though the Bible says, if a man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do in 1 Timothy. But the overall teaching of the New Testament is that the highest calling for a Christian is not necessarily the ministry. The highest calling for a Christian is to manifest his faith in whatever profession God has placed him. A man was asked one day what he did for a living. He said, I'm an ordained plumber. And I think he got the idea. He, he got the picture of what the Bible's talking about. So our challenge is to find out what God wants us to do and then do that job with all of our might and carry out that profession in a manner that brings glory to God. I talked about this morning. How can we do that? How can we go about being Christians at work? Peter gives us some guidance here. And I want us to look at it. Now, you've got to understand, in ancient Rome, slaves did everything. Doctors, teachers, musicians, actors, stewards, secretaries, they were all slaves. The Roman attitude was there's no point in conquering the known world and being its master if you still had to work. So the Romans had slaves to do everything for them. And, and by the way, look at what happened to the Roman civilization as a result. I think we were meant to work. But anyway, the relationship between a master and slave in the Roman world is similar to our relationship between employer and employee in our day. So for our scripture this evening, substitute the word employer for master and employee for slave or servant, and you'll have some ideas from the New Testament about how we ought to act as Christians. There's three things I want to talk about. The difficulty, the demand, and the drive. First of all, the difficulty. Peter said there are two kinds of bosses. Some are kind and gentle and considerate and create a pleasant work environment. This is the kind of man that, that, a, that a worker was describing about his boss. He said he knows how to step on our toes without messing up the shine. But other bosses, Peter says, are scolios. What word do we get from scolios? Scoliosis. It means crooked, bent. Verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to the kind and gentle, but also to the overbearing. 
That Greek word is scolios, bent, crooked, overbearing. The inconsiderate, cruel, unreasonable boss creates an undesirable work environment. And that's the place where the Christian is tested. Bill had a boss like that. He, he got fired and his friends asked him what happened. He said, well, you know what a foreman is? He's the one who stands around all day and watches the other men work. And his friends wanted to know, well, what did that have to do with anything? And Bill explained, well, the boss got jealous of me. Everybody thought I was the foreman. <laughs> and so Peter says there are two kinds of bosses. Those who are considerate and create a pleasant work environment and those who are bent and are unreasonable and create an undesirable work in- environment. So what's Peter's point? He's telling the Christians of his day that the circumstances surrounding our work are not always going to be perfect. There is difficulty and drudgery and disappointment, and there'll be problems in every job. That's the truth that we need to be reminded of. I saw some surveys recently. One said that 52% of the male employees in America are dissatisfied with their job. That's about half. Another one said that 80% of all workers are unhappy and frustrated at what they're doing. So in addition to just job dissatisfaction, there are a lot of folks doing mid-career changes too, thinking that maybe the grass is greener on the other side and there won't be the problems in that job that there are with this one. But the truth is, there is no profession without demands or hardships and no job without difficulties. When you wake up Tuesday morning and you don't want to go to school or go to work, remember that in Peter's day, as in our day, in your job with every responsibility, there are going to be difficulties and hardships and problems. That's just part of the situation we face. That's the, that's the difficulty. What's the demand? The second thing. Well, how are we to react? When you, when you face difficulty or unpleasant circumstances, or overbearing bosses, how are you to react? Well, one, one, one way is to retaliate. If somebody makes it miserable for me, I'm going to make it miserable for them. I'm going to get even. Some people respond to their problems at their job like that. <laughs> I just thought of the guy that jumped out of the jet blue plane. You know, he had had it. And uh, what do you do? Open up the emergency exit and deploy the emergency chute. Grabbed a couple of uh, beverages <laughs> and jumped down the chute. That's not a Christian way to retaliate. The second thing would be to sulk. Put on a long face, feel sorry for yourself, and sulk. Some people respond to their jobs like that. The third way is to goof off. If they don't treat me right, some people say, then they're not going to get any work out of me. I'm going to give them what they deserve. And they do little or nothing, and what they do is intentionally wrong. So you can retaliate, or you can sulk, or you can goof off, or you can do what the Christian's supposed to do, is what Peter says in verse 18. Be submissive to your masters with all respect. Be, Be submissive to your boss. In verse 20, he says, we are to do right even if we have to suffer for it. And that includes both our actions and our attitude. When he says we are to do right, that is our action. When he says we are to show respect, that is our attitude. That's the New Testament version of that 
verse in Ecclesiastes 9.10 that says, Whatever thy hand findeth to do, what? Do it with thy might. Whatever your situation is at work, what, however your boss treats you, however unreasonable your co-workers, however unpleasant your circumstances, the demand on the Christian is to do your best and do it with respect to your employer. That's what it means to be a Christian at work. The demand and the difficulty, and thirdly, the drive. Peter tells us what we're to do and how we're to do it, and then he tells us why we are to do it. Why should we do our best and do it with respect? Because the boss deserves it? No. Because we're paid for it? No. Because we want to please customers? No. What's the motivation that drives the Christian to do his dead level best even when circumstances are less than perfect? Peter tells us in verse 19, For one is approved if mindful of God he endures pain while suffering unjustly. We do our best because we are actually working for God. Paul said it well in Colossians I used this morning. Whatever you do, do your work from the soul as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive a reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Whatever you do as a Christian, always remember that no matter how simple the task, you're not doing it for the boss, you're not doing it for the salary, you're not doing it for the customers, you're doing it for Jesus. Every time I I think about that, I can't help but think about Brother Lawrence. I've talked about him before. He wrote a little book called Practicing the Presence of God in the Middle Ages, probably a thousand years ago, I'm sorry, 17th century. He was a monk in a monastery. He learned how to practice the presence of God, doing even the most menial of chores. His job assignment in the monastery, what's the worst job you think you could get? His job was to wash dishes. And listen to what he said. He said, Lord of all pots and pans and things, make me a saint by getting the meals and washing up the plates. That was his prayer, his daily prayer. And he worked in the kitchen all day long, and he found joy in it because he did it as if he were doing it for Jesus. Washing dishes for Brother Lawrence became an act of devotion to the Lord, just the most menial of chores. He did it as unto the Lord. So if you're a a lawyer in a Christian law firm or you're... You're not doing work for the partners or for clients. You're doing it for Jesus. If you're a teacher, you aren't teaching for the principal or the children. You're doing it for Jesus. If you're a farmer, you aren't farming a crop just to sell a market and turn a profit. You're doing it for Jesus. Whatever you do, you're doing it for the Lord. And when you see it from that perspective... Not to draw a salary, not to please a boss, not to get a good job review, not to impress fellow workers, not to satisfy a customer's demands. Everything we do, we do for Jesus. An ancient legend tells a story of St. Anthony, who was a man of God, whom the Lord told one day in a prayer that he wasn't as good a man as he could be. 
There was one in the world better than he. And so Anthony wanted to know who it was and where he could go meet this man and learn from him. So God told him that, that a man better than he was Conrad the shoe cobbler. Anthony entered Conrad's shoe shop the next morning and was welcomed. He told Conrad that he learned he was a good man and he wanted to know what made him so good. And Conrad said, I'm not good. He said, but if you want to know what I do, I'll tell you. I mend shoes for a living. And I mend every pair as if I were mending them for Jesus. When you do that, in a nutshell, it's what it means to be a Christian when you go to work. Every job you do, you're doing it for Jesus. Every most menial, manual assignment, you're doing it for Jesus. And so I want to leave you with some questions tonight on this Labor Day weekend to ponder tonight and tomorrow. Is Christianity showing at my work? Am I doing my task as if I were doing it for Jesus? Can an observer tell I'm a Christian by how I do my work? If you can answer yes to those questions then you'll begin to understand what it means to be a Christian at work. Is my Christianity showing? Am I doing my best as if I were doing it for Jesus? Can an observer tell I'm a Christian by how I do my job? Those are are high challenges, but it's something that we can all aspire to. Let's work as if we were doing everything for Jesus. Because if we're Christians, we are. Let's pray. God, does that mean vacuuming the house when nobody's looking? (laughs) Or washing the dishes? Or picking up trash? Or painting a nursery. Or other tasks that we have done in the past in Tifton or will do in the future. Doing everything as if we were doing it for you. Would probably wear us out and frighten us. If we really took that seriously. Because... We don't want to give you anything half done. So begin to cultivate in us a desire to offer our best on every occasion until we get to the point where we can say, I did it as unto the Lord. No shortcuts, no sloughing off. No sulking, no retaliating. Just doing the things we do because we're Christians. And a higher level is expected of us so we can show the world that we're different. And the reason we're different is Jesus. For us in your name we pray.
Amen. Our invitation tonight is number 285, wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll be at the front to receive you if you have a decision to make public. We had several coming forward in both services this morning, and those doors of fellowship remain open tonight, professing your faith, rededicating your life, or joining this church. You come as we stand and sing.